the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Christmas story is really a tale of two mothers, not one, but two. One mother was here and one was not. One mother was young and one was ancient. One mother was weak and vulnerable and the other was strong and capable. One mother was surprised that she would be called to be a mother and the other was not. She was deliberate. She was waiting for just the right prophetic time to be a mother. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, A Tale of Two Mothers. That's a tale of two mothers, and we'll bring you the first portion of that message here today. Don't forget, you can find this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Mike. Dear Father, we are grateful today that we have been blessed with a son who is our brother, who is your son, but is the brother of the entire universe in a way we have just in recent years, as we study our Bible more deeply, come to appreciate that Emmanuel means God with everyone, heaven and earth, Jesus, the peace child. Bless us today in the Bible to know Him, to be claimed in holy covenant by Him, to be saved, and then, Lord, to help others be saved. This church is not set up so that we can feel good about a church. It was set up to save men and women for eternity. Make us, Lord, evangelical in that one way that we would reach out. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, Christine Casey. Christine Casey is a mother who gave birth to her own grandson. You ever hear of anything like that? Well, it's happened. She is 61, and she is too old to have a baby of her own. She was. But a crisis arose in her family. Her daughter, Sarah, couldn't have a child, could develop the egg, but couldn't put it through the process, through the womb to have a child. And so her daughter, Sarah, was paralyzed to extend her family into the future. And thus the family would stop unless grandma stepped in. And medical science, working with grandma and a lot of prayers, made some amazing things happen. Her daughter, Sarah, who couldn't have a child, had a child through her mother, the grandmother of the child. Christine became the surrogate mother for her daughter and husband, and it made international news. They tell us that a mother's womb never grows too old to carry a baby inside. The eggs may not be where they are supposed to be and so on, but it doesn't matter. The womb is alive, and the womb can make a difference. An older mother whose daughter could not have a child had a child because her mother carried that child for her in love and made sure that her daughter could become a mother. I mean, that's when science is doing it right. I personally am moved by the kind of love a grandmother would have and a mother would have to make that kind of thing happen. Friend, if we listen well to Scripture, the careful student of the Bible must admit that the Christmas story is really a tale of two mothers, not one, but two. 
One mother was here and one was not. One mother was young and one was ancient. One mother was weak and vulnerable and the other was strong and capable. One mother was surprised that she would be called to be a mother and the other was not. She was deliberate. She was waiting for just the right prophetic time to be a mother. This tale of two mothers begins in Genesis 3.15 when Eve sinned and God intervened with a promise. And the first gospel promise, the Proto-Eugelian promise, is a promise to a mother that somehow a mother would make a difference. There was a promise made to Eve after the fall, and God told Eve, whose name means life, that through her, through her seed, a mother would have a child. Turn to Genesis 3.15. Christ is speaking in preexistent form for God. God says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman. Between your seed, the serpent's seed here, and her seed... So children are in play. The promise, the intervention because of the fall is the promise here made to a mother that seed would come. And her seed is not many in the context. Her seed is one. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed is not many. The seed is a single son who is born from the promise. The seed of the woman was a promised boy who had crushed the serpent's head in a death struggle that would leave the seed of the woman wounded in the heel. Friend, it's no accident that Roman spikes were driven into the heel of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary because his heel was wounded by the serpent's fangs right there on the cross of Calvary. The prophecy was given in Eden. The woman is a mother who would give birth to a son. Here God predicted in Genesis this great prophetic introduction to Scripture that pain and delivery go together with the promise. You cannot have the son without pain. Because of the promise, it is a rule that you cannot bear a son without pain in the game in any life. And so a woman's pain is increased. Look at Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children... Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The promise of pain in childbirth immediately follows the promise of a son who would crush the serpent's head. The sequence is intentional. It's prophetic. It's wrapped together in holy context. This is the context of Revelation 12, 1-4 as well. You can take these passages in Genesis 3, and you can glue them right to Revelation 12, and they make sense together. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Revelation 12, verse 1. The Bible says, "...a great portent, meaning sign, appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth, in anguish for delivery." Verse 3, "...and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth." And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her male child. Now there's a lot going on there. This is at the heart of the book of Revelation. In fact, the linguistic center for the book of Revelation is just a few verses on in Revelation 12, 10, and 11. So chapter 12 is the center of the book. The great controversy between Christ and Satan. The great controversy that involves a mother in heaven. The great controversy that will bring Christ to the cross. It is right here in this chapter. There are many layers to this prophecy we've just read. In verse 1, the woman here pictured is a heavenly woman. First, the woman appears in heaven as a sign. The text is clear. Secondly, she's clothed with the sun. Thirdly, the moon is under her feet. And fourthly, she wears a crown of 12 stars. 
So in the book of Revelation, this woman bears the prophetic symbols for God's people and for God's truth. She is no ordinary mother. She is a celestial mother if you just simply read the verses. In the Bible, God gives signs so His people will know His covenant because of the signs. I mean, why does He do that? Because we don't often get things easily. God gives us signs, prophetic signs, symbols, so that we can know what's going on. Maybe you have had signs in your life. Anyone here have a sign in your life you knew God was with you? Raise your hand. Okay, a number of us have. I mean, God intervenes in our lives and does dramatic things so that we can know from time to time, wow, God was there. But this woman stands in heaven in the prophecy as a sign for God's people on earth. We should look to this woman. God gave Noah the sign of the rainbow in the heavens as the sign of the covenant that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. Take your Bibles, turn a little further back to the book of Genesis 9, chapter 9, verse 13. And notice how it's put here. God says, I will set my bow in the cloud. In the Hebrew, his battle bow. He hung up his bow. He was at war with the world in the flood, and so he hung it up in the sky. I set my battle bow in the cloud, understood, and it shall be a sign of what? This is not just a rainbow. Of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, the bow is seen in the clouds. Verse 15, I like it. It sounds like the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment of the Decalogue. I will remember my covenant. Just like God says, remember the Sabbath. I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. I don't know about you. I like it when God remembers me. When I feel lost, when I'm trying to make it through life and something happens that rattles my cage, if I know that there's a sign in the sky that God remembers me, there's a sign of His covenant that He cares about my family, I take courage from that. I like rainbows. Now you realize when our building burnt down on this church site in 2007, as we were kind of working toward getting the victory to build this church, one day, a fierce storm blew through this property. It was like a tornado and a hurricane together. It was unusually horrific. And I got a call right after that storm blew through this property. Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, you've got to run to the property. The most amazing rainbow you have ever seen in your life, double rainbow, is standing right over the Reaching Hearts Church property. It is from God. It's a sign from God. It was. I mean, the God of Noah suddenly showed up for us. So I ran out. I took a picture. I have a wide-angle lens, 14-millimeter F2.8 Nikon lens with my camera, and I didn't use my tripod. I just set it up, and it took in the whole thing. And I got a picture of that rainbow, and she was absolutely right. It was a sign from God that God, His covenant is with us in this place. Signs matter. So the woman appears in heaven as a sign of God's covenant commitment for the world. In Deuteronomy 4.11, God's covenant is the Ten Commandments. It just says so. We don't have to guess what His covenant is. That everlasting covenant is in some sense an expression of what we find in the Ten Commandment law of God that was placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the throne of God. Friend, the law shines like the sun in all its glory in Scripture. In Revelation 12.1, the woman is clothed with the sun. 
Now, when you go back to Revelation 1, Jesus' face shines like the sun. You cannot separate the glory of the written Word from the glory of the living Word, who is Jesus. People who want to act like the Ten Commandments is somehow at war with Jesus Christ do not know their Bibles. They are at odds with the apostolic gospel because there is no war between law and gospel. The law points us to a Savior. Without the law, we don't feel our need. And so the law shines in all its glory. In Revelation 12.1, the woman is clothed with the sun. The sun is the primary symbol of truth in Scripture. The sun represents God's law as God's Word. That is the covenant that illumines our lives and minds. Friends, we are blind without the Bible and the Word of God. In Psalms 19.1 and verse 2, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night produce speech because the sun and moon have something to say to the human race. They aren't just lights in the sky. They are symbols of something deeper in. In Psalms 19.4, God has set a tent for the sun, it says, that journeys from east to west like a bridegroom. The east is the metaphor of the ancient past in the Bible. The west is the metaphor for the future, the end of time. The sun, the law of God, has a purpose from the beginning to the end. And that's why Jesus said not one jot or one tittle will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. It goes from east to west. It moves like a bridegroom towards bridal chamber. And then the sun, as the bridegroom, is identified in Psalms 19, 6-7. And it's identified as God's law and testimony that shines in our lives. The sun matters in our daily lives. The law is alive, friend, because God is alive. And Jesus is the living law. He is the source of what we get our Bible from. He is the one who gave us all these things. Look at Psalms 19, 6-7. Here it is. Its rising is from the end of the heavens. The sun moves. Its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hid from its heat. Pastor Michael Oxentenka will continue in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. If you have been blessed by our ministry, go to our website, hopelives365.com, or call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul or converting the soul, some translations say. The testimony of the Lord is sure. You know, there's a lot of theologians today who say, Pastor Mike, you can't believe that Bible. You know, it's the product of this gummy thought inspiration process. The words aren't really that carefully protected. And God's not really that much in control of His Word. Nonsense. Look what the Scripture says in verse 7. The law of the Lord is what? What does it say? You got a Bible? What does it say in your Bible? It's perfect. I don't need a theologian or a systematic critic to tell me how imperfect God's law is. It is perfect. It goes on to say, reviving the soul. People get converted when the Bible is taken seriously. Lives are changed when the authority of the Word of God is felt in the life. And then notice what else it says. The testimony of the Lord is sure. 
God bears prophetic witness to His law, to His Word. And when He raises up a prophet, and that man or woman bears testimony to the law of God, that testimony is sure because God is in the prophet business to point people to the Bible. It says it makes wise the simple. People who think they are smart and are not can really get informed if they study the Word of God. And so we need the sun in our life. We need the brilliant rays of the Bible to illumine us. Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, no daylight, no sunlight is in them. The light of the sun is a symbol of the law and the testimony of God. The mother of Revelation 12.1, friend, stands with the moon under her feet. She's clothed with the sun. The moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon bears testimony to previous light, and thus the moon is the lesser light of a prophetic witness that points to the greater light of the living law of God. The moon and sun go together. I'm an astronomy bruff a little bit. I'm getting better at it. I plan to really take out my telescopes this year and use them on this property. But isn't it amazing that we can have a solar eclipse where the moon is just the right size in the sky? It can move across the sky and it matches the circle of the sun in relationship where the earth is to the sun. What are the chances that we could have a solar eclipse where the moon is perfectly matched for the sphere of the sun. Somewhat, when they created this world and this solar system was absolutely perfect in the precision of the moon and the sun. They go together. In the Bible, friend, the moon represents the lesser testimony that is the spirit of prophecy that serves as a prophetic witness to previously established truth in God's law symbolized by the sun. There are times when God's word is forgotten. There are times when people fail to understand the significance of His moral law. And in those times, God raises up a prophet. He has an antiquity to draw people back to the Bible. Amos says, surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secrets to His servants, His prophets. So we need the Son, the Word, the Law, but we need the testimony of Jesus, the moon, the reflective light that points to the greater light. Turn to Psalms 89, verses 36 to 37. The Bible says his, meaning David's, King David's, his, David's descendants, shall endure forever. And his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever. And notice what it's saying here. Like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. So the moon represents a witness to God's covenant and to God's truth, a lesser light that points men and women to the greater light. Friend, the moon is the faithful witness in the heavens to the light of God's Word. We need the prophetic voice in our church today. Not theologians who don't know what they're talking about. Not smart textual critics who think they know everything. We need the Bible. And we need the voice of the prophetic Word that points us to the Bible. If you claim to be a prophet and you teach people that God's law was nailed to the cross or done away with, you are in fact a false prophet or a false preacher according to the Bible. You cannot be a prophet of God and say that somehow the Word of God is imperfect or messed up. In fact, when I hear a preacher or a teacher stand up and talk about all the errors that he or she perceives in the Bible, I just want to walk out because I know from studying the Bible they don't know the Bible. In Revelation 13, before Jesus comes, friend, the lamb-like beast will institute the mark of the beast by attacking the fourth commandment of the Decalogue. It's very clear there in Revelation 13 because the lamb-like beast in the book of Revelation is identified in Revelation 19.20 as the false prophet for the end of time. 
In Revelation 12, 1, the woman is a sign that points to God's eternal covenant. Why? Because the mark of the beast is in play. The woman points us to the truth that will be necessary to endure end-time events. She is clothed with the sun because she is covered completely with the truth of God's moral law, the Decalogue, of God's covenant, the Ten Commandment law of God, a transcript of the everlasting covenant of God's name. Well, some people say, Pastor Mike, why do you say the Ten Commandments is a copy of the everlasting covenant? Very simple. In Deuteronomy 6, when God's law was put between the eyes, the Ten Commandments, they were to remember that it would go in the hand and between the eyes, the Ten Commandments of Deuteronomy 5. In Revelation 14, God's name goes in the forehead right after the mark of the beast because God's name and God's law are the same thing. David says, you know, I meditate on your law and I keep your covenant. They're the same. You cannot separate who God is, His eternal name, Yahweh, His covenant name, from the Ten Commandment, Yahweh covenant of God that is the transcript of the everlasting covenant. So this mother in Revelation 12.1 who stands on the moon, why does she do that? Because the prophets bear witness to her as the mother that is clothed with the law of God that fully should clothe us. Thus, unlike Eve, the mother of Revelation 12.1 is not naked. She is not cast out from God's presence. She is an obedient mother who never fail and who will not fail God at the time of the end. The mother of Revelation 12.1 also has a crown of 12 stars in her head. In the Bible, the number 12 is the number for Israel or God's people in principle in every age. There were 12 righteous patriarchs before the flood. There were 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. Jesus chose how many disciples? I'll give you an A or C minus based on your answer. How many disciples? Twelve. Why? Because he was reconstituting Israel in the church. The new Israel becomes the Christian church. And there are twelve foundations for the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 verse 14. Let's look at the verse. The Bible says in the wall of the city, this is the new Jerusalem, not the old one in heaven now, but the new one's coming. The wall of the city had twelve foundations And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So the twelve apostles become the foundations for the new Jerusalem. The stars in the Bible represent God's people, either angels or people. The morning stars, the sons of the morning, sang for joy in the book of Job. They're angels. In the story to Abraham, God promised Abraham in Genesis 15.5, you go outside, you look at the sky, and your children are going to be like stars. Now why is he using that metaphor? What he's saying is your children here on earth will one day be brethren with the angels in heaven. They will share the same family. As Jesus says, they will be equal to the angels in the resurrection. So don't despair. Have faith. Your destiny is the universe, not just the earth. Some people believe that the woman in Revelation 12 and verse 1 is the church. Have you heard that? Now follow carefully what I'm saying. Because we can sometimes overstate our position and fail to understand the deeper impact of a verse's context. How many of you have heard that view? The woman in Revelation 12.1 is the church. Raise your hand. Okay. Now, don't walk out on me. Let me walk through this with you. I would posit to you, based on the context of Revelation 12, the church is only identified with the woman in Revelation 12 after the birth of Christ. Am I right or wrong? Was the Christian church in existence, before Jesus was born? That's an easy answer. The answer is what? No. 
So we have to be careful not to overstate a position and to fail to understand the deeper context. What is the church in Scripture? According to Scripture, the church is an extension of the heavenly Jerusalem. When Christ died, this church that He established on earth became an ambassadorship, kind of like an embassy on earth, which put heaven and earth together so that when you attack heaven, you attack the church. But before Christ was born, the church could not have given us Christ. The church could not have been pregnant with Christ. An impossible logical reality here. Friends, the church was established by Jesus Christ after Mary gave birth. Now some people think this woman is Mary. We'll look at that a little bit later. So the woman before the birth of Jesus cannot be the Christian church. Why? Because the Christian church did not give us Jesus. Jesus gave us the church. And the woman gave us Jesus in the context So the woman can't be Israel either. Why? Because Israel was on earth and this woman is in heaven. Israel here had fallen. This woman does not. You read the history of the Old Testament and Israel is a mess. This woman is perfect. Some believe the woman is Mary. And I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor Mike, it's easy. This is Mary. Now while Mary was the mother of Jesus on earth, Mary never lived in heaven. And Mary never gave us Jesus from heaven's perspective. No, Mary doesn't work either. Mary received Jesus because another mother gave us Jesus for Mary to nurse at Christmas. You see, the story of Christmas is the tale of two mothers, not the tale of just one. Join us again next time when we conclude A Tale of Two Mothers, today's Reaching Your Heart. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.